You are listening to the Enormo cast. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing it at? Are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's out. Out. That's Very a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll say, we really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormous Cast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is December 20th, about 9 o'clock during the dark, dark, darkest time of the year here in North America anyway. On today's show, episode 119 of the Enormous Cast, alpinist, free soloist, free climber, Brett Harrington. Almost Canadian, Brett Harrington. A lot of people think she's Canadian. I almost did, but she's not. She's also not related to Emily Harrington although she could pass as her sister and has been confused as such. And Blake Harrington is a completely different person. And I need to have Blake on the show because it would complete my Harrington triumvirate. The only news I have today, coming into Christmas, our slightly non-commercialized Enorma cast in honor of the fact that Christmas is upon us. No more shopping. No more spending of money as a substitute for love. Yeah, I left the commercials off this one just to clean it up a little bit. You know, just to get... uh, Get a little focused back in here. The news I have is that I have been invited to the Cody Ice Festival on February 10th through the 12th in Cody, Wyoming. Yeah, the Enormacast at an ice climbing festival, not just not just hanging around, but I'm going to present, which is a little bit different than the live interviews that I sometimes do at events. This is going to be a presentation on what? Well, not on ice climbing. And uh, when Ari Novak, the director got in touch with me, I was like, yeah, you, you've listened to the show, right? And he was clear about my ice climbing bona fides. So I'm going to present on something else. And you'll have to just show up and find out what that is. Maybe it'll be the opposite of ice climbing. I will present on languishing in a bevy of freshly blow-dried Malamute puppies writhing around, trying to lick your face while the sun caresses you in a clover patch of your choosing. That's pretty much the uh, opposite ice climbing, isn't it? No, but seriously, I have some ideas about presentation on climbing culture and some of the things I've learned and some of the voices from the Enormacast over the years, sort of a collective wisdom of all the things that have gone down on the show, something like that. Hopefully, I'll come up with it in a fever dream between now and then. Cody Ice Fest, CodyIceFest.com. No, CodyIceFestival.com. No, CodyIceFest.com. No, Ivil. Just CodyIceFest.com. Go check it out. I'm not even sure what's going on up there just yet. So have a look at the website. Come. Awesome place to go ice climbing, apparently. Although, Jesus Christ, February in Cody, Wyoming? Yeah, that was my only thing. I said, hey, man, is there like going to be a warm place where I can sleep? Do they have indoor plumbing? 
in Cody, Wyoming? I'm going to have to assume that they do. So, And hopefully I will be getting some interviews. Maybe there'll be some some Montanans come down out of the icy north. It's about as close to liberal Colorado as they'll get anymore. Okay, let's get to the interview with Brett Harrington. Rad lady, girl, woman, female. I kind of use those words sort of interchangeably. No offense meant. I have utmost respect for her. mind that I know you're not out to get me like I know, I know you're not a reporter and you're not <laughs> yeah you don't know you've never met me before no, really that's true but I listened to the show mm-hmm. okay we're good we're rolling are you ready yeah we're gonna do this so my first question for you I'm just gonna roll in are you Canadian American or both I'm American <sighs> I know it's different yeah People think of me as a Canadian. I know, I did, and I and then I read that you were you at least were you born in in California? In California, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and around Tahoe. Yeah. Okay, I read that, and I was like, yes. Uh-huh. You're kind of like the opposite of uh, you're sort of the opposite of of Peter Croft. Yeah. Because everybody, yeah, he's yeah. Canadian. Everyone thinks he's American. Uh-huh. He's a free soloer. He's blonde, and he's a man. Yeah. You're the girl version. Of Peter Croft. I like this reference. You're actually American. American. Who everyone thinks is Canadian. Mm-hmm. How long have you lived in uh, up in, in BC? Um, on and off for six years. I went to university up in Vancouver. Okay. And then, yeah, I just kind of stuck around. Right. Yeah. But you've, uh, you, you didn't move there with your family. You just went to college there. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was kind of looking at your timeline from Tahoe to the Northeast mm-hmm. and then to Canada. So I was wondering when, when those things happen. How old are you? I'm 24. 24 years old. Yeah. And, and you've been up there for six years or so. That's what you said. Yeah. But like the past two years, I don't really live there right. because I'm in and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I would call it like a home base. Okay. Yeah. Why did you choose to go to school up there? So I grew up as a skier. Uh, I did ski racing for eight years. My whole childhood, I was a skier. And then I did freestyle for five years. And when I was really young, probably like 12, I watched this Warren Miller movie that was featured in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And it just blew my mind. It looked so amazing, the powder and the trees. And then I moved to the East Coast when I went to high school. So jump ahead a few years. Right. And um, when it came time to like apply for colleges... A friend of mine was applying to UBC in Vancouver, and I applied too, and got in. It was my first choice. And were you still skiing heavily at that oh, point? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did a few competitions up there in freestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So freestyle, explain that to someone who's not aware of all the genres. Well, I actually did it. Is that a, like the jumping and... I did slope style. Okay. Yeah, so sl- slope style is different than freestyle, but most people don't really differentiate. Um, slope styles, jumps, tricks, rails, courses. That, I really loved it, but I got too many head injuries, okay. so I had to quit. 
Yeah, I bet. Yeah. It seems like those that sport and and whether it's the snowboard end of things in the pipe or and it, it seems like there's a difficulty to longevity in those sports. You yeah. know, in terms of the who's who's on top and who's the sort of flavor of the week or whatever and then they're gone and I think it all has to do with injury. Like you don't mm-hmm. it just the sport asks so much of your body that I think it takes a lot to get through to the other side to where you're like, you know, the consummate professional, you know, with the contract that's going to last forever kind of guy or girl. It's like to get through the other side without completely wrecking yourself seems like almost an impossible task. Yeah. Well, I think it has to do with taking what you have in a moment and evolving with it. Mm -hmm. So like maybe, when you're young, you're really strong in freestyle skiing and you need to evolve that into something else or else if you just keep pounding it down, then you're eventually going to get hurt. For me, I just had too many head injuries. Like every time I fell, it seemed like if I got hurt, it would be my head. I never hit anything else. So it was just not the right thing for me. Right, right. But I think for like people that want to pursue it for a lifetime, they need to evolve it into different type of skiing like alpine backcountry doing shoots or like combining it yeah sure sure yeah uh, yeah just it's it, it's amazing that like i said people get through that early stage of their career um and a lot of them don't you know something happens and they're they're out of the running so to speak but mm-hmm. but this is a climbing podcast so let's yeah. talk about climbing <laughs> okay so um I wasn't able to kind of get a lot of the details of sort of your beginnings and things like that. Mm-hmm. You started climbing in Tahoe. Not really. No. I started climbing primarily on the East Coast when okay. I was living in New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, I wasn't, it, you, you just mentioned living there. I guess I leapt to yeah. uh, you on Donner Summit climbing up there or something no. like that. Yeah. But, uh, okay. So you started in the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Um, so climbing has been something that I was always attracted. So like my idea of climbing formulated when I was living in Tahoe Mm -hmm. and I lived there till I was 15 and that's when I moved to boarding school, um, on the East coast. But, um, when I was really young, I was like climbing trees every day. I had one special tree that I loved and I would go bouldering. I didn't even know bouldering was a sport. I would just go climbing on boulders and yeah, I was drawn to it. And I went to climbing gym for the first time when I was like five Mm -hmm. and I was fascinated. I saw this picture of someone climbing. Now I think about it, it was probably like sunny climbing in the desert, some beautiful crack. Yeah. I wondered who these people were. Eventually went to Yosemite with my parents and became fascinated with El Cap. Right. And so when I did move to the East coast, there was a, a climbing team and I just joined. Yeah. I joined and never quit. So when you moved to the, when you moved, you said you went to boarding school on the East Coast? Yeah. Was it a, was it a ski oriented thing? It was. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But they had sort of a climbing, you know, cross training kind of thing. They had some climbers there that, or was it like a school that drew all sorts of outdoor kids? It was an outdoor school, Mm -hmm. but there were like seven or eight ski teams and four snowboarding teams. So most of the kids that went there were on the ski teams. Right. Um, but we were all required to do three sports. Okay. So climbing was my fall 
sport and it wasn't competitive we just went to rumney every day and climbed right um it also didn't like i never learned about climbing culture or media or professionals i didn't know any about that okay it was just climbing because we love it yeah Mm -hmm. you climb on the short bus and head over to to rumney to climb every day yeah right Yeah, yeah 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 what was the name of the school holderness okay do you know it no no, oh, okay. but I'm sure How did somebody you know it was a short bus that we climbed up? Because there's a very similar school in uh, Carbondale called uh, CRMS, the okay. Colorado Rocky Mountain School. Cool. And uh, they have uh, tons of short buses. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's where Hayden went. Uh-huh. Actually, I just had Conrad on. He went there, too, like way back in the day. But I think a little probably their skiing, uh, they're like famous for having like these really awesome telemark teams, actually. So... They've got, it's sort of a little more hippie probably than what was going on up with you guys, but they've got a climbing team, kayak team, the whole thing. So that's how I know what kind of can maybe envision a little bit of what you were doing up there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so you took to it. Yeah. And you're still competing as a skier. Yeah. And so that was still like your focus. Well, it was my focus, but I loved climbing more than I did skiing. Um, So that, like, joining this team helped me realize that. Mm -hmm. And I also had this amazing coach who believed in me. And he he climbing 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 coach. He gave me my first climbing. Want to give him a shout out? Yeah, Travis Piper. Thank you for encouraging me to continue climbing. Um, Yeah, and that helps as a high school student to like have somebody encourage you to keep pursuing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But was there any sort of internal conflict that you had with, with, you know, being on what I imagine was a very oriented path with skiing. If you, if you'd gone to a school kind of specifically for that, I'm sure they were probably pumping out, you know, people that were going on to be athletes. Those schools tend to, whether it's an Olympic path or, yeah. or competition, um, you know, you're on this one path and a lot of things in your life are oriented towards that, but mm-hmm. you have this love of climbing. Yeah. Did you, was it ever unclear as to what might happen in terms of your, your pursuits or? So after boarding school, I moved to Spain and I didn't get to ski so much when I lived in Spain. I lived in the South of Spain. So I would like leave the city. It was Granada. I lived in Granada and I'd leave the city, take a bus up to the mountains and ski, but it was like, twice a week right? and it wasn't that much. Um, and I did a few competitions out there, but I got to climb a lot more. And then I moved back to BC and I did a few competitions, but I got a really serious concussion that lasted about three months and it affected me severely. Mm-hmm. And that was it. I just had to quit like right. then and there. Yeah. And I have like I backcountry ski, but I don't, ever go in the park anymore right yeah yeah that's better for your health yeah well like for sure it's that was really bad Uh uh-huh yeah i mean was it like touch and go in terms of of being something that would be permanent i could yeah for sure for sure and i've had effects like beyond that because it triggered i'll tell you the truth is that it triggers depression Mm -hmm. so when you're depressed you don't have emotion um, you don't experience happiness, sadness. You basically lose your personality and you forget a lot of things so you don't realize that you're in depression. It's just like you're in this lifeless body, like you're dull and you can't see out and you don't think it's that you're ever going to be able to get out. Um, 
And so finally I started putting it together. Like I started coming out of that. It took me about three months. And um, then I'd say two years, maybe three years later, I fell back into it and it lasted about a month. And so, yeah, it's like lasting. Definitely. Right. So that could maybe even come up, I mean, over time again. Yeah. And there's been tons of studies relating depression to concussions. Okay. And a lot of sad suicides. People, yeah, get lost in what's happening because you can't see out. Mm-hmm. So when yeah. it happened the second time, yeah, was were, was a part of you, a, like was there an intellectual part of you that was able to be like, wait, is this is this what I learned about before or is it just, you just don't have a perspective on it? Yeah. When you're falling into it. Yeah. You're like, I was aware that I was falling into it and I told my mom and I told my boyfriend, like I'm not myself, Mm -hmm. but the scary thing is you don't know if you're ever going to come out of it. Right. Yeah. And was it something that passed or did you, did you have to do something about it? No, it, it passes randomly. Like, okay. It came in randomly and it, fell out randomly Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. all of a sudden i just felt good and i'm like oh i'm good (laughs) all right we'll go climbing again yeah well like i was climbing like i sent i sent the grand illusion while i was in my depression okay which was which was cool for me (laughs) i wasn't like super psyched though like it wasn't (laughs) honest but it was like all right at least i can still do this like perform yeah well maybe uh-huh. there's something like the detachment was was able to like i don't know who knows <sighs> you know when you when you said yeah. um, uh, uh, when you first described it, you said this emotional detachment mm-hmm. and and <clears throat> i leapt to free soloing <laughs> yeah. because it seems like there has to be some level of that how long ago was that that was 2015 okay yeah so not spring too long of ago. 2015 right right, right. yeah Going back to learning to climb, you you actually uh, were on a climbing team, but it was an outdoor thing. Yeah, it was more like a club. Like a club. It was like a club. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I'm, I'm kind of getting at. Because a lot of times when people think climbing teams now, it's like a gym thing. Yeah. Um, but it was oriented towards the outdoors. Yeah, we didn't climb indoors. And then was it, you know, this kind of thing where they were training you up? to uh you know to become a climber on your own or was it more of just like have at the rocks and we'll make sure you guys are okay um what kind of program was it well there was only six of us okay and we had one coach and then one guy that would come in and out um and they were like really like chill (laughs) yeah no pressure just follow what you want to do and it, it was really open and relaxing they like we didn't have any training regimens or anything. Well, when I'm I'm yeah. asking about training, I'm actually that was a little bit um, the wrong direction to say that because everybody jumps to like physical training, you know, having yeah. you guys hammer the the campus boards and things like that. Yeah. What I kind of meant was, were they teaching you the ropes? Were they teaching you how to place gear? Were they teaching you about anchors mm. or any of that sort of stuff? Like we would go trad climbing, but we'd only second. Mm-hmm. Like I, I never led trad when I was right. out there. Um, but we did some really cool multi pitch climbs. Um, we climbed a three pitch tower called the Eaglet. Uh, that was like my first time climbing cracks. Mm-hmm. It was a five nine crack, and it was awesome. Um, but yeah, I never led. I never. I don't really even know if I ever led sport climbing back right. then either. Right. I didn't understand the point of it because I was just climbing for fun. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's taken me a while to like understand the game of red pointing and understand the c- more competitive side. Right. Yeah. So when did that? Uh, when did you sort of throw that switch to to want to become your own climber, so to speak, and uh, you know gain the knowledge to go out and do sort of your own things? Because I can imagine that in a in a club or a cl- team like that, it was definitely you know directing you here's some stuff you might like here's this here's mm-hmm. this and you you even said like you had no idea about climbing culture or anything or what yeah. red point was or i mean you were like blissfully just out there climbing which is like pretty awesome actually yeah when did you sort of make a switch to wanting to become your own climber and pursue your own things and and also learn how to learn how to climb yeah it was during that time like i so i directed myself there as i had been when I was younger to sure. like trying to climb, tr- tr- climbing trees <laughs> just mm-hmm. because I loved it. So like, yeah, I was always directing myself towards climbing. It wasn't like I was ever taught or led into it. Um, and so, yeah, my, my coach encouraged me to keep going. And then I, from there went to Yosemite with a friend. We had no idea how to climb in the Valley, but, um, we were like 17 <laughs> And then, um, yeah, I just kept wanting to push it harder and harder. I just wanted to climb as best I could. Right. Yeah. Right. And how did you go about learning, you know, not to kill yourself in terms of like <laughs> anchors and, and, and gear and all that sort oh, of thing? Oh, man. <laughs> I, d- I, I just did trial and error, really. Right. Like, oh, this is trad climbing? It's not much different than sport climbing. And, uh, yeah. I was living in Squamish when I started mm-hmm. trad climbing mm-hmm. and there was this 10 D and I could easily climb 10 D sport. So I was just like, yeah, I'll climb it. And it was basically like a free solo. Cause I don't know if that gear would have held. Um, but my partner didn't realize that I didn't trad climb and I didn't say anything. Then we went climbing on the chief and we climbed this route called milk run. And there was this 11 a corner. And he asked me if I wanted to lead it. And I said, sure. So I led it. And uh, yeah, I just, I understood the concept of cams. I just hadn't had practice. So I wouldn't recommend this tactic to anyone who wants to lead trad. I did it. And yeah, I would say it's better to start with like having someone teach you. Did you fire that 5.11? Yeah, I did. I yeah. fired it and See, I got that's to the, the top. that's the difference. <laughs> it was kind of like. that you didn't fall. So who knows whether those cams were any good or not. I know. Well, Mark, Mark, <laughs> my partner was like, well, it was a little weird that I placed a black alien as a first piece. Right. <laughs> yeah. I <Jeez>. guess so. <laughs> when it she's, was like a hand She's crack. not even scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I really caught on to it fast because I, mm-hmm. I loved it. And sure. I, I, want, I, I wanted to climb high. I like going high. And so I, th- I can imagine that as an athlete, as a mountain athlete, as, as, as a person who's skiing and everything else. Physically, it probably felt, you know, you were probably just right off the bat pretty strong, pretty capable in terms of being on the rock. Yeah, I was comfortable climbing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Although crap climbing is, was different to me, mm-hmm. like the laybacking of that style. <laughs> so did your folks have some idea of um, this path that you were on in terms of like, again, this that you had this sort of desire inside of you to be a climber versus being a skier per se or anything else? What did you go to college for? 
Spanish. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Nice. In literature. Okay. Uh-huh. Did you finish? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Good job. Thanks. I always ask my guests that when they talk about college. Yeah. Just to find out if they hung hung, hung it out long enough to get a degree. Uh-huh. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Nice. It was a fun degree. Yeah. But yeah, were they aware of this uh, this climbing thing? I would tell my mom. Like my mom and I were, we've always been pretty close. So mm-hmm. she was aware of it and pretty happy for me. Okay. She's, yeah, she's a pretty stable-minded lady and really comfortable. Um, my dad has... And still does have a very hard time with it. Right. Yeah. In terms of fearing for your safety or that you should be pursuing something more uh, lucrative or <laughs> or like <laughs> both. Con- contributing to society kind of thing? Yeah. A little bit of both? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he's he's gotten better in the past few months. <laughs> yeah. A couple few videos come out and some articles. Yeah. Goes a long way yeah. to legitimize things. In, in parents' eyes, I know this from my own past. Okay, a couple a little mention in a magazine back in the day. Yeah, then it seemed like you were doing something important. Yeah. All of a sudden, even if like you didn't have it any doesn't money matter about the live. climbing. It's like what? Yeah. Yeah. So recognition is a bit for that, but in terms of the safety thing, um, let's move in. I'm gonna actually ask you because of that conversation about you know maybe your dad being a little worried about your safety. Um, especially, I mean, if he's, if he's been around for concussions and he maybe, wasn't though, Oh, he wasn't. No, no. Um, for some reason when I started getting concussions, yeah, I don't know. He wasn't there. Okay. Um, and then I was on the East coast mm-hmm. and he wasn't there. And then I was in Vancouver and he wasn't there. I don't even know if he knew. Oh, okay. I know my mom knew cause okay. I would tell her. Right. Yeah. But I don't think he knew. All right. Okay. I still don't even know if he knows. <laughs> Maybe we'll listen to this. Be like, oh my God. Um, well, anyway, moving on to that. So let's talk about the soloing. So yeah. somewhere in your in your sort of path, mm-hmm. the soloing became a thing. I've always said that, that, at least among guys, because I can only talk for guys when it comes to some of these internal things. Um, although I, I try to talk for women too, let's face it. But in this case, it's like, I always say, if you're a, if you're a dude who track climbs a lot, then at some point you're going to dabble at least in soloing and you're going to, some people are going to do it a bunch. Some people do it always. Some people will dabble and then scare the shit out of themselves and stop or whatever. But there's going to be this point for most dudes anyway, that go into free soloing Mm -hmm. is, do you think that's the case for you that, that it just kind of turned up as something that like seemed natural to do or how did you get into it? Yeah. This is a good question. Uh Um, So what happened to me specifically was I was climbing. I was going to do an alpine route in. um, Your partner bailed. My partner bailed? No, 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 no. No, No, I was going to do an alpine route in um, Uh British Columbia. Okay. We were going to climb the North Pillar of Joffrey. And um, the approach was, you know, we crossed a glacier and then we had to jump from the glacier to the rock and cross this gully. And. Right away, there was rock hazard, rock fall down the gully. And it was too dangerous, honestly, to set up a belay and to belay each other up. We just had to solo up. It was like 5'9 terrain um, to cross the gully. Fortunately, we did that. Um, I'll tell you why later. But we did continue climbing the easier pitches, just soloing. It's faster, um, more efficient. And then you get to the crux pitch, and then you put on your rope. And I was so psyched, like... I just thought it was amazing. Um, so then we put on the rope, climbed, I think it was like five pitches or maybe four or five pitches. 
and got to a tower and this massive rock fall fell down the gully that we were on about three hours earlier and took out the glacier below. So, I mean, it was good that we were fast and efficient. Probably like that route hadn't seen a repeat, I don't think. And I think we were off route too. So it was pretty adventurous for us to be up there. We only brought a single rack of cams. It was like 511X climbing. It was a really intense route. Um, Still one of the most intense Alpiners I've done. Mm-hmm. And then we got to the top and there was this huge thunderstorm that was coming. And so we just like down scrambled the fourth class terrain super fast. And I thought it was one of the best experiences I'd ever had at that moment. Okay. So then every time we'd go into the mountains, like after that, we, we would go alpine climbing every weekend and do lots of soloing. Yeah. Um, I did a solo up um, a mountain called Lydia at night and it was like a six I think it was like a six hour climb Mm -hmm. just it's like four class terrain in the top it had some five eight and yeah soloing for me developed in the mountains just out of efficiency time management and then you can get to the harder pitches and yeah it's just way more efficient right Mm mm-hmm yeah, but tell me about uh, after you figured out that it was way more efficient. So mm-hmm. what in terms of, you know, when you're not necessarily needing to be efficient, you're still going to go solo something, whether yeah. you're cragging now or whatever. I started realizing I could climb right. these mountains, yeah, without a rope. Right. And I was in the Waddington Range and did a bunch of soloing there. And, and then I went to Patagonia and it wasn't my idea to go soloing, but it was in my head mm-hmm. because I loved at the time I loved Alpine scrambling. That was just fun to climb mountains super fast up these cool features. And so, yeah, like I was in Patagonia climbing with partners. Um, and then eventually just did some soloing too. Right. Well, you got, uh, you got some press and this is actually where I first kind of uh, noticed your name or whatever and saw the pictures. Uh, what's mm-hmm. the name of it again? The Chiaro de Luna. De Luna, yeah. yeah. And so um, I had a question about that. Uh, again, like that's when I think a lot of people were like, wow, who's this this gal that's like, that just soloed this route, free soloed it. Mm-hmm. Um, had you actually, it, that was onside as well? No, it wasn't onside. Okay, it was not no. onside. All right, that was my, that was my question. Yeah. It was, it's 5.11, yeah? Yeah. Like some finger cracks? Yeah. Yeah, and... That's when I, when I, I was kind of like, well, gosh, it didn't make it clear the, like the video I watched or anything. And, uh-huh. and I was like, man, that is, that's serious business. 511 free soloing yeah. in the mountains. And then I was like, wow, that's really serious if it was on site. Um, and you had climbed it once before. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had basically team scrambled it okay. with a partner and we put on the rope for a few pitches. But mm-hmm. after I did that and we did it in like three hours. So I realized that. I could just solo it, but it still like that was the most intense free solo I've ever done with mental preparation. Like I, I thought about the entire route. I processed it, visualized all the emotions I could have felt beforehand Mm -hmm. that night when I was sleeping and like, yeah, I knew going into it, I was going to be okay because I'd already processed everything. Okay. Um, Where'd you learn to do that? There (laughs) doing like just on on site uh-huh. <laughs> yeah okay it wasn't drawing on anything from like your competition no, days or anything you I were just like i either. think this is yeah. how i should process this stuff ahead of time i just started really thinking about okay. it and like yeah i got so into it and it was cool 
like projecting yeah. and the whole thing of yeah, thinking I about cl- like I climbed the entire mountain in right, my head like right. three times that okay. night. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get scared at all in your oh, visualization? Yeah. I was gripped. I was gripped because some of the pitches are hard. Well, yeah, they're five eleven. Yeah. <laughs> There's this one pitch at the top that was like in my when I climbed it with a rope there I couldn't place anyway and I really wasn't going to place because I was planning on soloing it anyhow okay but um it was insecure it was a flared layback that kind of barn doored out and um so in my head I like readjusted my body positioning and like felt how it feel climbing it and then when I finished visualizing that I was like okay well I think I can do this but I have never had to do that be- since then. Okay. With soloing. Okay. I've done it with like red pointing and stuff. But okay. Yeah. Well, that's an amazing skill, actually. <sighs> I don't even, even know. Even if you just made it up on the <laughs> yeah. spot. Because what I would do is visual, I would do that and then I would get so scared I'd, I'd have packed up in the morning and went home. I'd have been like, okay, well, that was too <laughs> frightening to even think about. That was a special climb. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, speaking of that thing I talked about, about all of dudes wanting to solo at one point i did i've been through my my momentary thing i never pushed it past five nine Mm -hmm. um and you know so i started thinking about doing my own version of what you did in your shoes and i'm like would i be climbing up like all the base like the scrambling and like getting like you said most of it's like not that big a deal and then you put down the when you climbed it with with a partner you put on the rope for those few pitches would i be approaching those pitches like freaking myself out thinking about them or would i be able to just be like no i i, I it's not a big deal and i i kind of concluded at least at this point in my life because i don't really do that stuff anymore um i would have freaked myself out mm-hmm. like i would have been just like well what about that one jam like that felt terrible that for a second when i moved off of it or whatever so but you're able to like you were just in it when you when you left the ground on that one i was yeah it had rained the night before oh yeah yeah i remember that yeah it was so I woke up at like 10 and it was just fog everywhere. I couldn't mm-hmm. see. And then I waited till 12 and then I started up and I, I was really careful. I felt super calm that mm-hmm. day. Um, and after I finished climbing the first crux, I got really happy. Okay. <laughs> and then I climbed the second crux, which is the most technical crux. And I have like little video clips I took of myself like afterwards, like, yeah, I'm so psyched. So good. Yeah, it was just a really good day, but mm-hmm. that's it's not always like that. Right. Yeah. Have you freaked yourself out other times? Um, no, not freaked out, but I've been in situations that I have seriously had to focus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can think of two instances that triggered that. Like, it's not okay to enter any kind of freak out site headspace right well yeah i guess like, if you freaked out you probably wouldn't be here yeah right yeah so. and but, that's happened. but spots you climbed into mm-hmm. that you suddenly maybe what when you say you had to focus what, what does that mean can you sort of deal with that i was climbing a few months ago mm-hmm. um and i was soloing this route it was 12 pitches and about pitch seven it led me onto a slab Okay. And this route wasn't done very often. It's in a place that's hardly traveled in Calaveras Dome. And um, the slab was really technical. And I wasn't expecting it to be as technical as it was. Um, and so in every, 
if you're a climber, you know it's like climbing slab. It's insecure, and you have to be like precise on your movements. And so I, I could tell that somewhere in my head, there was this thought like this is so intense. Like, but I also knew there was no way out of it, besides to control how I, what I was doing, mm-hmm. and to control my head. So I didn't even allow myself to slip into that, and I just kept climbing. And yeah, I think it just has to do with blocking out any right. sort of negative thoughts. Yeah, yeah. How hard was the climbing there? Do you think? I was like five eight. Right. <laughs> I don't know though. Like five eight slabs sometimes can be yeah. really hard. Well. <laughs> I was just kind of thinking like at times whether I'm on a rope or, or, or whether I was not with the rope, you know, I often was just like, come on, like you can climb, you can climb this. Like, unless you're off route, uh, you can climb this. Like we know how hard it is. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a hold. You know what I mean? Like I, I can think of those conversations that I've had with myself, but, um, but yeah, that voice like that can be back there. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the difference is that you have this ability to to tell that voice to shut the fuck up or go away or like beat it, you know, in the moment. Um, But it's Mm -hmm. nice to hear you have the voice. Yeah, well, like I've down climbed so many times also. I do a lot of down climbing when I'm not feeling comfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the voice has to be that. (laughs) Like if I'm ever stressed out when I was in university and I would try and go soloing, it was not a good place for me to be so i just down climb you couldn't you couldn't clear your head enough or yeah it's stressful university right yeah right right mm-hmm. and so this remains uh like a big part of your life in terms of you know you kind of mentioned we were conversing earlier that there's phases and you had a, a good phase in the spring uh-huh. um so what about that headspace between being in a place where you're like ah soloing is what i want to do now and then moving away from it yeah um the switch is a bit hard because once you get into something, you get really good and comfortable in it. So, for example, I was doing a lot of soloing over the summer. And then I had a project in Yosemite. I wanted to go climb El Cap. And I needed to change my headspace. And I needed to change into the try-hard headspace. Yeah. It's not easy because I kept wanting to go soloing. But really, like, when you're doing a project... I don't know how really to describe that right. switch. Yeah. This summer you were climbing on El Cap as well? No, was, no, that was in the fall. Yeah, it was. Uh-huh. It, it, when, you were climbing. When did you climb up there with Alan, with our buddy Alan? That was the fall of the last year. So oh, okay. that was in 2015. Yeah, right. And then 2016 I was on El Cap again. Wait, what were you doing this year? El Corazon. Oh, okay. How'd that go? It was awesome. Yeah, um, I freed all pitches except for the final five, like up to up to pitch 30 um but i was doing it ground up so i hadn't rehearsed anything and i had to figure out this pitch 18 was like this really hard slab traverse it's called a, it's called the beak flake because alex huber placed a bird beak and then did a massive dyno okay. to stick this crux and then it's like 512 513 climbing to the top but i couldn't do the dyno so I spent three days trying to figure out the sequences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that took me a lot of time. And also my partner wasn't climbing at the point, so he was just jugging. Uh, so I didn't I didn't end up freeing the route, but uh, I got really close. I freed majority of it. Yeah. Do those sorts of things bother you enough that you have to go back? Oh, or? I will go back okay. for sure. Awesome. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's stuck yeah. in your craw, as it were. And it's an amazing line. Okay. And now I have it dialed. Like I could, I, I want to try it in a faster time. Now. Okay. And yeah. and what did you do with Alan? Mirror wall. The mirror wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did that go? That was great. Yeah. It was chaos, actually. It was chaos because we'd never climbed a wall in that style, and there was three climbers plus one guy up there trying to video, and it was just like chaotic trying to get the hauling systems down. Sure. Um, and also to have four people at an anchor was not helpful. Um, so we learned a lot. Yeah. It sounds like your patience yeah. cried a little bit. <laughs> it was. Based on the tone of your voice. Yeah, we learned a lot. Uh, and did you go up on El Corazon, just two people? Just two. Yeah, yeah, right on. Well, you know, it's part of being a public figure. You got to catch it on video. So, <laughs> Well, we didn't do any video for Corazon. We just went up. Right. And yeah. Was... Well, you might as well not have done it then. So what, tell me a little bit about your Baffin trip too. Yeah, so we went to Baffin um, in June. And it was June 21st when we actually went into the fjord. We were climbing on the East Coast in the fjordlands and it was a summer solstice so the sun just revolved 24 hours that was really cool and we climbed two new routes on great sail peak i think that's 1100 meters Mm -hmm. yeah is that right no (laughs) you need to help me out on this i don't know forget about it we'll skip that who cares it's big (laughs) you can cut that out (laughs) yeah i'll cut that out it's really big (laughs) no one no one gives a shit yeah. If you're going to say meters, then you just lost feet. everybody anyway. <laughs> I'm lost anyway. <laughs> like meters. What? She said she wasn't Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, continue. 1,100 meters. That's okay. it. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we climbed. Um, we established a new line up the lower half of the wall um, that was seven pitches at 12B. And then we traversed this huge ledge and climbed um a line up the northwest turret of great sail peak that goes at 13a a2 the we had planned on trying to free climb it all but this huge cyclone hit the valley that we were in Uh during our climb and we were going ground up so our week of supplies ran out because we were in the cyclone for six days and it was super windy and our ropes froze and it was snowing on us. And so on day seven, we um, decided to go up and it was drizzling out and raining. Um, Mark burnt his foot so he couldn't climb. So Josh and I just (laughs) took all the blocks and... Who were the other climbers? It was Mark Andre, Josh Levine and I. Okay. Yeah. How did he burn his foot? Stove? Yeah, the right. jet boil. Right. Uh-huh. Water? Burned it with Burned hot water? Burned it with hot water right. in the morning. Yeah. Right. Right. He had some injuries on that trip. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Mark couldn't climb so much. <laughs> Josh so, and I had a good time. Nice. Tell me what it was like. So you're in a, in portal edges. Yeah. Or a portal edge. Two. Two for mm-hmm. six days. Yeah. In the storm. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. like chilling hardcore oh no because the next pitch that we were working on was the crux pitch and it was a aid pitch right um and so like mark and i would take turns during calm when the when it wasn't super windy we'd take turns um aiding this pitch on hooks and actually i placed a copperhead i it was pretty run out right i started up pretty run out right from the portal edge 
like 30 feet on hooks. Right. And finally I found this really good copperhead seam and I hammered in a copperhead and I was testing it and I thought it looked pretty good. And I stepped down in my aider to test it and my hook blew. So I took a static ball onto my copperhead. And it held? And it held. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> it was like... Whoa, did anyone see that? And it was totally fine. And then I kept going and I felt confident that I had a, pla- a placement. <laughs> yeah. And you would have just what? Just I would have fallen so just, far into the portal edges. Right. It would have been horrendous. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And it, all right. Nice job. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> had, you, had you placed a lot of copperheads no, in your time? No, Couple? just practicing. Just practicing. Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're bomber. Don't worry about it. It's all, it's all pro. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Hi. Thanks. But so you were like, what, getting in a couple hours, a few hours a day on this pitch day after day? Or what? <laughs> yeah, but also the wind was super strong. So mm-hmm. like at times we were just trying to hold the portal edge down as the winds were like Josh. Josh was in a single ledge mm-hmm. and his flipped a few times on him. Mm-hmm. Really freaked him out. Um, so, yeah, we were just trying to like hold everything together a lot of the time. Right. Cooking was super hard. Right. There's no um, gas canisters in Baffin, so we only had a white gas stove. Okay. Which was also probably pretty dangerous to have in the windy portalage mm-hmm. set. Yeah. Yeah, they can flare up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I got my eyelashes singed right? off. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I've been just kinda having you sort of do your greatest hits in the last couple couple years. You're you're stuck in these ledges in Baffin, mm-hmm. holding the portal edge down, you take this <laughs> very you know, fortuitous whipper onto a <laughs> copperhead. Uh, you know, you're free soloing. So, else elsewhere, and you you mentioned your little panic voice or your voice that said, you know, started to kind of kind of get get in the back of your head on that slab. But the funny thing is, is like you're laughing with me through all these like or just recounting all these basically terrifying moments, um, pretty matter of factly. You know. Is that like, are are you in this these portal edges for six days with the wind blowing like totally fine? Do you have, you know, are you nervous? Do you have that kind of kind of effect or, or are you just like, I just took a whip on a, on a copperhead. I'm good. Like I wasn't terrified. No, no. I've had moments when I mean, I'm not I've asking had, like, terrified, but moments. like you, we, we were you just don't seem time. to have a, have like a, a lot of, uh, sort of nervous energy if you will no no i wasn't nervous i i was actually really psyched mm-hmm. um we had our i had this like amazing book i was reading i told you about the weather atmosphere book so i was reading about the cyclone and it was cool watching the cyclone go down valley from the east it shot super fast the wind came in from the east and then um the snow hit and then we had like a day of sort of stable weather as the eye circled over us and then the next day snowed again but the what the winds had changed as the cyclone passed through us and the winds were shooting from the west mm-hmm. of valley um yeah so i don't know i was just more fascinated right yeah yeah it was cool and each night, like, the fog layers would roll into the valley, and I was reading about how the fog was, like, being pressurized, and yeah, it was cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you always been this person? Like, from a kid? I mean, I have think you so. always been, like, pretty steady? Um, 
there's moments. I mean, where other I'm than like, you know, we talked about the concussion and the ups and downs yeah. with that, but uh, but in terms of your personality, it seems like there's there's some magic here in terms of your ability to you know just either if you want to call it stay focused or stay calm or just you know executive functioning this is what we need to take care of here and now you know um, what, what you, is that something that you grew up with is it something you were taught something that came with climbing okay i think it has to do with just who i am okay. like i've always been really independent i did a lot of stuff alone when i was like a little kid mm-hmm. most of the time i would be yeah off doing something alone um and so i think i've found peace in that i I don't know how to explain it but Mm -hmm. yeah i just think it's just who i am um but then when i get stressed out over like school or work or um yeah there's there's certain things that stress me out or lack of sleep that's a huge one or being sick and then i lose my headspace and then you could find me like i don't know having a tantrum okay (laughs) yeah so yeah, when I'm not feeling good, I can lose my head. Right. Do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, okay. I have um, an older brother and an older sister. Uh huh. You close with them? Yeah, we're close. Where are they? Did they all learn these skills as well growing up? <laughs> no. No. We're also different. Like, oh really? My sister is opposite. Okay. From me, um, yeah, she's very, very different. Um, my brother, we're we're more so similar, but um, yeah, he's pretty quiet. I sort of talked to you about, you know, this path or this idea of, um, especially, uh, someone who's only 24, you know, you, you, you kind of came into climbing in the gym era, the sport climbing area, the bouldering era, era are the things that are like the draw for teenagers, yeah. I think in terms of climbing, uh-huh. um, you had a little bit different, different progress in terms of that outdoor climbing team or climbing club uh-huh. while a thousand other young girls at the time you were a kid would go towards the social path or towards the, because sport climbing, bouldering, all those things we talked about on the show are, are very social activities yeah, as much true. as anything for young people. Uh-huh. And maybe your team was that obviously, but there's only six of you guys, as yeah. you said, but you know, I was just kind of curious how that girl ends up this woman who is this Alpine climber, this wall climber, this like steady Eddie go-to partner, in terms of doing these big roots. Um, and so that's kind of just, mm-hmm. I'm just sort of like delving around in your psyche, trying to figure that out, I think. Because um, it's a little bit unusual uh, in the day and age. Yeah. You know, like I said, there's there's a thousand people that would have gone the other direction um, for everyone that finds themselves up in the big mountains, especially for women. Yeah, like the social part of climbing was never and it still isn't part of my climbing Mm. that's why bouldering was so hard for me i didn't learn to boulder until i just did it alone and i boulder much better when i'm solo i think i function better when i'm alone okay yeah so i don't think i ever i was never attracted to that sort of scene um so you're about to embark down to patagonia yeah uh with mine we're actually at mayan's house yeah um and i want to give a shout out because she's letting us Thank you, Mayan. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually trapped her in a house in Grand Junction, too. So she's she's reliving her own experiences right now. Uh, we're in Grand Junction, Colorado, which is also cool. But uh, you guys are about to head down to, uh, to Patagonia again. Tell us about that mission. So um, we're headed down to Torres del Paine and, uh, to try a climb called Riders on the Storm. And Mayan was down there last year with Ines. And they... Um, 
nearly freed the entire route, mm-hmm. but there was some sections of aid, and they spent. Um, I don't. I asked her earlier, but I, just a few days, maybe mm-hmm. working, working, and finding a variation sure. that would go. And then they climbed to the top, but didn't end up sending the pitches, but found a way that would possibly go. So yeah, she's invited me, and I feel very honored to go down with Mayan and try this route. Yeah, but yeah. I made a joke earlier when we got here that you you've been bred, you've <laughs> been like you you've been sort of put together in a lab no, for, I for this trip. <laughs> oh, like, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, like you your your climbing career, it seems to me is is step by step like readied you for this moment. Oh, that's Am, sweet. Don't yeah, you think I'm psyched for that. Yeah, I mean, you're you're a granite trad climber. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, uh, you're you know you you got big wall experience you can climb in the cold uh-huh. right <laughs> yeah i mean it's honestly like who who would be a better partner for her than you i don't know <laughs> i know it's putting a lot that's of pressure why i'm on psyched you. on that's why i'm psyched on this project because it is something that i really wanted to do when i i read the article that came out i think in the alpinist magazine last year um about their climb and i was just like I thought that would be so amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I imagined it, you know, like, cause you guys have got to haul in a bunch of, bunch of crap back yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. And then I, I also just imagined you like can put a giant haul bag on your back <laughs> and just walk and walk and walk. Can't you? Oh, I hate it. I hate, I hate that. Yeah. Trekking with heavy backpacks is not my f- favorite thing to well, do. Well, it's nobody's favorite <laughs> I, thing. Yeah, I do it. I do yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I'm not that great at it, though. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. Maybe I'm mischaracterizing you. I've yeah. given you a little bit no. too much there. <laughs> yeah. I just, ha- I don't know. I just had this, like, steely-eyed gaze ahead, like, <laughs> no. along. Like, there's no one's going to stop me. This is, this is happening. No? Well, that's probably my least favorite part of the okay. whole thing. Yeah. Like every time it's like, oh God, we have to carry these bags in. Right. It's going to be hard. Yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. hauling on El Cap must not be that high up there in your favorite things to do. Well, um, the last time, when, yeah, this last time we found out a really nice system is just to do space hauling. Yeah. So we're just like two people counterweighting the back and just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So basically, you just jug the line twice. That's yeah, how it goes. Totally. Yeah. You hadn't, that was all something you had. Yeah. Nobody had bothered to tell you about on the other one when you had four times as much. I shit. had always <laughs> thought about it, and I wondered why we never did it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Would you do the little squat thing? Yeah, like pushing it, with your legs. And we set up three to ones, and it was so right awful. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's cool though. You got to do those things though. You got to cut your teeth like that. Yeah, because now you know better. Yeah, <laughs> now you fucking know better. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, thanks a lot for doing this. Yeah, um, thank I, you. I do want to kind of point out how it got done. Is that uh, I I Instagram stalked you? Yeah, <laughs> actually, uh, uh, Brett put a, a, a um, post on about climbing an Indian Creek, and I was like the first comment. I was like, hey, are you going to come to Colorado? And then she got back to me. Um, but then you deleted that comment. Yeah, because you made me feel self-conscious about it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you're like, well, maybe we shouldn't be writing on your on your commentary. And so I was like, okay, I'll just delete it. Oh, because I put my because <laughs> I put my uh, my information on. Well, I just didn't want to put my phone number. On <laughs> oh, there, yeah, that's is why. So I put it into the into the, uh, the. Did you know Instagram had a messaging before that? Because. 
Like, yeah. I've had a vague knowledge of this messaging thing. Yeah, it took me a while to learn about right, that too. Right, So mm-hmm. anyway, but you were totally awesome. You got back to me and uh, I drove out here to Grand Junction to get it done. And I totally appreciate it. I hope that you, uh, I hope that you enjoyed it and uh, and haven't uh, been too put out by it. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's this has been awesome. Thanks for talking with me. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thank you so much to Brett for doing that. I really did kind of stalk her out of nowhere. Just uh, just threw the line out there, you know? little flick of the wrist and hooked her. So I do work hard for you guys to get some folks from outside Colorado once in a while. And here's wishing Brett and Mayan a safe and successful trip down to Patagonia. They'll be leaving not long after this comes out. All right, have a great new year. Please stay safe on that and any other day and night. And as we go into the new year, re-up your dedication to climbing safe and coming home in one piece from your adventures. And of course, always checking your knot and everyone else's too. To be a Canadian. Step one. Understand the metric system half of the time. Welcome back to Who Wants to Win a Million, eh? Are you ready for your final question? Yeah, let's give her. For one million Canadian dollars, how much do you weigh in kilograms? Is it A, 40, B, 80, C, 65, D, 200? Oh, I don't know. I don't know kilograms. Now remember, you can earn a bonus lifeline by listening to one Nickelback song in its entirety. I think I'm in a walk.